Two types of righteousnesses play out this scenario and Ten Commandments in the news all in this episode of Table Talk Radio. Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. So here we have the the promise of the virgin birth already. And and now it says that he, this promised seed, shall bruise you, the serpent, on the head. So this, and you will bruise him on the heel. So uh, this is talking about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. So this is the first gospel. What in the world? The Lord's Supper <laughs> is to help rediscover your innate goodness? Holy smokes. That's like saying that glasses are to make sure you can't see. It's like saying your shoes are there to make sure you can't walk. It's like saying it's like saying a boat is there so that you sink to the bottom of the ocean. That's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. Councilman Darren Layton. Thank you, Mayor. On balance, I think as far as whether we do it on the 6th or the 12th, it matters about as much as my collection of Table Talk radio points. Bringing you Lamentations and Lent, this is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Fasting from excellence. <laughs> feasting on mediocrity. Year round. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's time for another edition of Table Talk Radio, and it seems that our email inbox is overflowing at questions it's at tabletalkradio.org. And so we're going to chip away, right? Uh, right. But before that, I've got a buzzword for you. Okay. And that buzzword is sacrament. Uh, Luther likes this definition from St. Augustine. Remember Martin Luther, who wrote the large catechism? He quotes this little line from St. Augustine to define what a sacrament is twice in the large catechism. And he says, uh, it's in Latin even, but it's translated, the word joins this, uh, the element and you have a sacrament. So you have an element, a physical sort of thing. You have a word of promise, namely the promise of the forgiveness of sins. And when you put the two together, that means sacrament. So you have the sacrament of holy baptism, water and the word. You have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And oh, this is a trick question for the confirmation students. What's the element in the Lord's Supper? And they say, oh, the bread and the wine. But that's only half true. The body and the blood of Jesus, as well as the bread and the wine, are the physical elements to which the Lord joins his promise of forgiveness. That's the word sacrament. All right, my theological buzzword for you is Judaizers. Judaizers. Judaizers Jewish um, heretical party in the early church, which held that in addition to faith in Christ, one must conform to Jewish customs in order, through self-effort and works of the law, to be justified and sanctified. Judaizers. Judaizers are always fighting against St. Paul. You find them in the shadow of the gospel. Um, so always, just like the Pharisees were always fighting against Jesus, the Baalists were always fighting against the prophets, the Judaizers were always fighting against Paul, the Gnostics were always fighting against John. There's always a... Who, who did Luther say this? Wherever the Lord builds a church, the devil builds a chapel. So there's always false teachers right in the shadow of the truth. Nice. I like that. Hey, thank you. I'll let Luther know when I see him. Yes, well, okay, thank you. Um, all right, well, let's go to the emails. Uh, do we have an email, Pastor Wolfmiller, that you want to read? Here it is. This is from Debbie from Sterling Heights. Uh, Sterling Heights, me. 
so here's my suggestion, which probably won't make it to the octo finals, but want to participate anyways. Perhaps you consider a prize for absolute worst suggestion. This is a T-shirt idea. It says, Table Talk Radio, where we say really profound things really fast and then follow up with quotes from the classic comedy movie Nacho Libre so that the listener has to say to himself, did he just say something profound and life-changing or what? So you have time to go back and try to rewind before, take it easy. But the button is so little that you rewind too far and go back to the beginning of the broadcast, which will be very frustrating because you'll never find that one really life-changing part. So you just have to trust in the sufficiency of Christ and believe that his word will do its perfect work in your life in spite of it all. Oh, and we have really cool bump music. <laughs> that Thanks, is Daddy. a long T-shirt. Yeah, I don't think that... Well, we'll see. We'll see if that one makes uh, You know what I was thinking of making, by the way? I'm off of the T-shirt idea and on to something else. And I was thinking about making a little poster, Table Talk Radio-sponsored poster, you could print out on a single page, and you could fold it and make your, like your own little stand-up bumper sticker, and you could put it on top of your TV whenever there's political debates, and the verse would sim- and the and the little sign would simply say, "Trust not in princes." <laughs> How about that for an idea? Yeah, yeah, I think that'll I think that'll be a a winner. Okay. All right. Thanks, Debbie, for writing in at questions at tabletalkradio.org. What else, Pastor? I got another one. This is from Austin, who says, this is, your, this is Austin, <laughs> one of your listeners at Concordia, Chicago. I would like to start off with offering my congratulations to Pastor Gagline and condolences for his bride, Mandy. This email <laughs> probably won't be read for several months, so I thought I would try to get my congratulations in early before the flood of other listeners write in with their comments. <laughs> How, how long old have you been married? This? I don't know. I don't know how to. Hmm. I wonder how to see how old this is. Oh, here it is. October eleventh, two thousand fifteen. Oh yeah, that's not too bad. It's still last year. You know what's the expiration date for emails sent to Table Talk Radio? Like ten years. Yeah. Emails sent to Table Talk Radio are like Twinkies. We're... <laughs> yeah, there's a nice long shelf life on these emails. Uh, on a more serious note, I was wondering if you two would be able to do me a favor. One of the theology classes I'm currently going through, a book called The Genius of Luther's Theology, semicolon, A Wittenberg Way of Thinking for the Contemporary Church. To get to the point, the book is a proponent of the 2KR, that is, two kinds of righteousness paradigm. It is an explication of the 2KR paradigm within a law-gospel framework. Now, that right there, Patrick Gagline, is a <laughs> sentence that we're going to have to take apart. I've heard that an improper understanding with emphasis of 2KR can lead to, un- to a usurpation of law and gospel. I also know that there is some tension among our two seminaries as to the teaching and application of the 2KR paradigm, or paradigm. I know that Luther talked to the two kinds of righteousnesses early on, and then again in his later Genesis commentaries, as well as his greater Galatians commentary. I also know that some think... This is the, quote, lens through which Luther saw his theology and thus does not mention it specifically in his works. Apparently, in the Weimar edition of Luther's works, 2KR is not mentioned directly very often. Also, some claim that 2KR is all throughout the confessions, end quote. I was wondering what you got, what your guys' take on it was. If you could please help me out, I would sure appreciate it. Thanks, Pastors Austin. Oh, thanks, Austin. All right. Well, I thought it might be fun to play a little bit of Name That Theologian. What do you think, Pastor Wolfman? Oh, yeah, I do think that's the game we should play. Okay, well, I actually have—I'm being so generous here. 
that I'm giving you four quotes instead of three. And Whoa, dang. I'm also, some of them are rather lengthy. So um, without further ado, are you ready for your first round of Name That Theologian? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, man. Am I ever? It says, for this reason, we need to view anthropology theologically if we are to comprehend the full mystery of what it means to be a human being and to grasp the foundation and purpose of our existence. 16th century reformers like Martin Luther and his colleague Philip Melanchthon. <laughs> I'm going to guess that this is not Luther. Okay. That's my guess so far on this quote. <laughs> okay. That they developed theological perspective of the human being within a framework that is called the two kinds of human righteousness, two distinct ways in which every human creature pursues existence, two dimensions to what it means to be human. This view provided the theological assumptions that everything that has everything they had to say about the relationship between God and the human being. This relationship, sorry, this distinction between the two kinds of righteousness is one of the elements that we can describe as the nervous system running through the body of the Christian teaching as these reformers thought of public teaching of Scripture. So what? important was this nervous, framework... Hold on, the nervous... So can you read that little phrase again? The um, nervous system? The distinction between the two kinds of righteousness is one of the elements that we, that we can describe as the nervous system running through the body of Christian teaching as these reformers huh. thought of public teaching of Scripture. Huh. Okay? Okay, no, okay so that's the first quote. One more sentence. Oh, man. Um, Okay. So important was this framework that Luther refers to the two kinds of righteousness as, quote, our theology in his famous Galatians commentary. In some ways, this work represents the culmination of his thinking on the two kinds of righteousness. I like the greater Galatians from Luther. By the way, when people say, hey, what should I read from Luther? Um, the answer is, first, the small and large catechism. Second, small called articles. Those are the two most important. Then... The next thing I think you got to read is Luther's Greater Galatians Commentary, where he expounds Galatians and the Doctrine of Justification. Now, what this author is t talking about says that Luther says, calls the two types of righteousness, quote, our theology in Greater Galatians, and he's going to say that this idea of the two types of righteousnesses is going to be the spine that gives motion, the nervous system which gives feeling to the body of theology. That's quite a claim. It is. It is. And that the greater Galatians commentary is the culmination of his thinking on two kinds of righteousness. Well, I think, you know, in some ways that's probably going to be the greater Galatians is going to be the culmination of Luther's theology. Really, It's going to be it's going to be kind of the high point of his theology uh, in, a, in a lot of different ways. So, so really, the, the question on the table thus far, before you hear the other quotes, is... How central is two kinds of righteousness for Martin Luther's theology? Was it center stage, or is it an aspect thereof? Well, I would, the first thing we should probably do to initiate those uninitiated into this debate who are happen to accidentally, well, actually, you know, against the next better quote, judgment, listen the next to Tabletalk Radio. Okay, good. But to say what the two types of righteousness are, and there's a couple of different ways to define it. Okay, so you got a quote that's going to define it? We got time for that? Uh, we have time for it on the other side of the break oh and we'll <laughs> go ahead and hit that break and we'll be back that was a trick doing some more quotes for from this mysterious theologian for name that theologian about two kinds of righteousness in the theology of martin luther you are listening to table talk radio and if you have a question for us you can send it to us questions at tabletalkradio.org we'll be right back yeah we're two of a kind we're working 
Table Talk Radio. Not even our listeners can cancel us. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. I'm only one call away. I'll be there to save the day. Superman got nothing on me. I'm only one call away. And we're back on Table Talk Radio playing the game. Name that theologian. And this quote is for the uninitiated. Are you ready for Pastor Pastor Wolf Miller? (laughs) Yes. That's for me. (laughs) See what I did there. Okay. Quote number two says, Working within the matrix of the two kinds of righteousness, the Reformers clarified the nature of the relationship between the Creator who bestows passive righteousness on his creatures, first in creation and then in redemption through the creative and recreated word, and the human creatures who respond in faith and trust. The distinction between the two kinds of righteousness allowed the Reformers, without qualification, to extol the gospel by removing human activity as the basis for justification before God. At the same time, it clarified the relationship of the human creature to the world in which God had placed him or her to live a life of active righteousness for the well-being of the human community and the preservation of the environment. The two kinds of righteousness... <laughs> oh, hey! Just, I'd like you to underline that preservation of the environment as something never said by any Lutheran until the last ten years. <laughs> Is that... Just as a Wait note, a because minute. it was pretty good until you got to that. You know, uh, I mean, <laughs> that idea that it's how the act of righteousness is how we live one another. Uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of basic. But also as the preservation of the environment. I mean, that is that the, anyway. So you're just thinking make note of that. This might be a theologian who serves serves on CTCR or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. The two it's definitely kinds... got a newish flavor. Is it, are you just, they're not going to read about any sort of environmentalist action in Gerhard. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, good lord. Oh, yeah. I think, I think Gerhard like, drove a hey. Prius. <laughs> Chemnitz, you know, is fighting against tuna nets. <laughs> not... Please cut the, the, the holes on the... the pop can thing so ducks don't get their necks caught in them. That's right. (laughs) Poor ducks. (laughs) Anyway, the two kinds of righteousness, however, are inseparable from one another. The passive righteousness of faith provides the core identity of a person. The active righteousness of love flows from that core identity out into the world. Here endeth the second quote. Okay. So this is now, okay, now this is how Luther would talk about things, and all the Luther, and by the way, also Jesus and the and the rest of the Bible, is that when we stand before God, there's no law. It's only gospel. I mean, the the the, the righteousness of Christ is what prevails before the throne of God. When we go to be judged, it is uh, it is not on the basis of our own activity, good works, uh, either our failures or our accomplishments, but rather uh, on the merit, uh, sole merit, and active obedience of Jesus that we are justified. And yet, when it comes to living in vocation, we live in vocation according to the law. So the table of duties, by the way, is all law. Whenever the Bible talks about vocation, it's all law. The only vocation in which there is any mention of gospel is the vocation of being a Christian, the vocation of being baptized. 
and so forth. So that's fine. I mean, so far, so good. I mean, it's it's fine. Um, okay. Uh, the, the the idea that we stand before God by grace and we stand before our neighbor by works is simply a, a kind of a basic part of our uh, of our, our uh, doctrine. Okay. Now the next two quotes can get to be a little lengthy, so if you need to break in and interrupt people and or interrupt me to save people from the boredom of my voice, feel free to do so. Okay. On okay. the one hand, human righteousness. Stop there. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Human righteousness before God flows from God's act, act sorry, activity. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of flowing in this, by the way. The lo- your identity of grace flowing into love. Yeah. There's a lot of f- flow talk around here. That's also going to be a mark of modernity and someone interested in, you know, the health of the oceans. So, so far, you're looking for Lutheran hippies, is what you're... Okay. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. It's going to limit it to every professor at the St. Louis Seminary. (laughs) And your mom. (laughs) And my mom! Like human parents... Hey. Hey, speaking of mom. God originally gave to his creation apart from any contribution or participation of his creatures. As his handiwork, we, by definition, are dependent and contingent beings who have life only from the reception of God's gifts. We depend on the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink. These things (laughs) flow from the creative heart of God. (laughs) You're going to highlight everything. (laughs) Take these things away and we die. We are yes. receivers in the presence of God. When his human creatures lay dead in sin, God restored life to them through the death and resurrection of his Son. He bestows on us as a gift the righteousness that his Son required. This also took place without any contribution or cooperation participation on our part. The Holy Spirit creates faith through the gospel so that the human beings can once again entrust all of life to God's care. In both instances, human beings suffered the work of God. That's in quotes. Uh, In creation, God formed Adam from dust and breathed into him the breath of life. In redemption, the human creature lay on the opening, uh, sorry, the operating table while undergoing surgery and recitation. Um, Thus, before God, Coram Deo, we are entirely passive, and so our righteousness is passive, not active. Um, we can pause there, and I'll continue reading in a second. Yeah. You want me to just okay. keep going? I'm being operated on by this author, and now I'm about to be resuscitated. Okay, never That's mind. It's an interesting picture <laughs> of salvation, of uh, uh, that that um, that salvation according to the second article. So when we say article like this, we're talking to first article, the creed, God is our creator. Second article, Christ is our redeemer. That's uh, the, the gospel, doctrine of justification, so forth. This is... Um, uh, and it's saying, according to the second article, I receive life as from a surgeon who's doing heart surgery, and I'm I'm killed, and I'm given a new heart, and I'm raised up, which is not something that maybe is something I should have heard before, but I never have. So I got to meditate on that picture a little bit. Okay, let me I mean, keep so reading. So far, this is fine, but it's like, yeah, this is right, but I have the feeling the whole time that you're tr- setting me up for a trick. We'll see. Not necessarily. I'm just okay. I'm just reading. Okay. On okay. the other hand, and at the same time, righteousness. Well, not you. It's the author. Oh, see, I the author's me. setting me up. I know. Here we go. On the other hand, and at the same time, righteousness in the world with our fellow creatures, Coram Mundo, depends on our carrying out our God-trusted tasks within the walks of life 
for the good of creation. God created human beings as male and female to complement and complete each other. Together they formed human community, and together they were given responsibility for tending God's creation. To guide them in their task, God (laughs) hardwired his law into creation and engraved in it on the human heart. At the same time, God gave human beings dominion in such a way that they have the freedom to figure out how best to tailor the law to the specific challenges and questions of daily life. Here, human reason and imagination play critical roles in meditating um, the law into our daily lives in such a way as to carry out God's ongoing work of preserving and promoting creaturely well-being. Human beings carry out their God-given tasks for the well-being of both the human and the non-human creation. <laughs> as, oh, as they do so, they stand accountable both to God and to their fellow creatures for the way they carry out their tasks. And so, in the eyes of the world, Coramundo, our righteousness is ever active, never passive. Coram mundo. So that's a, that's a really long and wordy way of saying consider your station in life according to the Ten Commandments. But okay. that's all right. Okay, all right. Now, um, I do think this is interesting that that we have a God given task, um, for the well being of the non human cre- uh, creation, and then it says that we stand accountable both to God and to our fellow creatures. So that would mean that I sin against my non human creatures, right? I'm yeah, the, in, the kind of environmentalist strain that's running through this author is what's spoiling the rest of it. You know? <laughs> I, I just mean, this is against what, my dog. <laughs> this is what people ask me. They say, are our pets going to be in heaven? And I said, look, it, I mean, it might be a nice idea to imagine, you know, Brandy uh, running up to the door of heaven and is that greeting you named me your dog Brandy? Oh, yeah, Brandy. Yeah. I'd name my dog Jack Daniels. <laughs> you, you named your dog Sage or Sagebrush or... <laughs> Some sort of other witchcraft thing. Don't Correction, try to fool me. I adopted. I, I. <laughs> it's like your dog was named a, by my mom. A rescue dog. She is a rescue dog. I did not name her. <laughs> Anyhow, when people say, "Are your pets going to be in heaven?" I said, "Look, I, I'm just. I cannot quite imagine making it to the resurrection and being greeted by like the 700 cows that I ate, and them asking, <laughs> well, how did I taste?' <laughs> yeah, we only want certain d- animals to be in the I resurrection. Thought, you know, some huge flock of chickens I are going to be I sitting there. So, yeah, that's right. I, was it worth it? <laughs> I lived in a cage and was cooked in fat, uh, you know, yeah. boiling oil for you. All those, all the. <laughs> All those chickens who will be in the resurrection that were served at Chick-fil-A would be like, you guys call yourselves a Christian company. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, you got another quote by this guy, or can I take a guess? Can um, I take a stab at it? Well, we're coming up awfully close in this break. I do have one, oh, one more quote. Uh, what what are your thoughts so far? I mean, so far you're like, yeah, it's fine, nothing. It's fine, it's fine. I mean, so law and gospel. If if what we mean by two kinds of righteousnesses, and that is that before God, we we receive uh, an alien uh, uh, righteousness in which we are passive, and before man, we have an active keeping of the law. That's fine. That's the same thing, by the way, as law and gospel. There's no difference between that doctrine and the doctrine, the distinction between law and gospel, which is the biblical doctrine. So if that's what we mean by the two kinds of righteousnesses, then, you know, God be praised. But to put the two against each other, that is when it really is going to become a sticky problem. Um, but isn't there a distinct—here's uh, here's the distinction, I think, is that um, the, that 
two kinds of righteousness in, in these quotes have been described as a paradigm. And when we start to say that's the same thing as long gospel, it's not correct to say that, that long gospel is a paradigm for the scriptures. Right. And, and I think, I mean, when people equate the two, I mean, so, so that, so that um, two kinds of righteousness is a matter of systematic theology in which we've organized an understanding of, of the doctrines that we have of the Christian faith. But long gospel is not that. Long gospel is the word of God that's, that cries forth, right? Right. So that we need to take a break. We're out of time. One more quote for you after this. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. It's incredible how well our good looks translate to radio. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. All right, Pastor Wilson, you are down to your last and final quote of this mysterious author. Yes, I'm ready. Hit me with it. It says, The crux of Lutheran Reformation rests on maintaining the distinction between divine righteousness, which is salvific before God, and human righteousness, which is good for the world. In the Lutheran view, the medieval church failed to distinguish between these two kinds of righteousness— it had confused the two by giving human righteousness an ultimate significance before God that it does not and cannot possess. It disparaged faith as insignificant for salvation and for our relationship with God. We need to distinguish them. The act of righteousness dare never become the basis for our righteousness quorum Deo, or before God. At in, uh, any attempt to bring works into the presence of God will lead to a rejection of the creator-creature relationship, whereby we receive our identity and life as God's children as a sheer gift. So, these reformers argue that when standing before God in heaven, human beings must leave all works behind on earth and seek nothing but the righteousness of Christ, which is received by faith. Active righteousness must remain on earth within the relationship of our fellow human creatures. By confusing the two kinds of righteousness, or by collapsing one into the other, the medieval church ultimately undermined salvation and failed the neighbor. Okay. You know what this all sounds like? There's a, there's a constant thing, the temptation for the, for the Lutheran theologian. And that is, because we've got the doctrine of justification so clear, that, that grace is alone, that faith is alone, that our salvation is God's work alone, that we are always being accused of denying good works. That was the, that was the deny. That was the uh, critique of the Lutherans even at the time of the Reformation. And the Lutherans said, "We don't deny good works. In fact, we teach good works, and we teach people how to do them, namely by faith, uh, that we believe in the gospel and we receive then with it uh, the, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, which is living and active, and so forth. We teach vocation. We teach the Ten Commandments, etc." But the Lutherans are always uh, like they have to they have to do some sort of theological sleight of hand to get this discussion of good works into the conversation. And it seems to me that that's a little bit of what's going on here. This old discussion of two types of righteousness. I mean, it's fine, but it's just it's not 
it's not necessary. I mean, it's not any sort of profound sort of thing to say, hey, when, when you stand before your neighbor, you love them according to the law. And when you stand before God, you stand forgiven because of the death of Jesus. I mean, that's not a particularly profound breakthrough. So is our emailer, Austin, correct when he says that there's some tension among our two seminaries as to the teaching and application of two kinds of righteousness? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, so the, 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 Saint, the seminary in St. Louis has kind of famously been quoted of saying that the 2, 2KR is a better paradigm for understanding the Scripture. And you pointed out rightly that there's no such thing as a paradigm for reading the Scripture. We just have the Bible where God talks to us. And he speaks in two words, law and gospel. Um, and so, the, you know, trying to to lay a systematic over the scriptures is always going to be a futile sort of thing. And so there is a bit of a dispute between the two seminaries. I mean, the, I was trying to find a quote before we came on the air and couldn't find it. But uh, Luther, in, in his Greater Galatians commentary, talks about how, you know, if, if we remain silent, that even the, the stones will cry out. And he says... What they'll cry out is law and gospel, <laughs> so that whenever God's word is heard, uh, it's always law or gospel, um, because that's what God's word is. But it's not always uh, one of the two kinds of righteousness. Righto. Uh, that's the, true. The two kinds because of righteousness is the way that we understand our place in life. Because and and the and the, what the two types of righteousness likes lacks is the accusing voice of the law. Right, brings us to the end of ourselves and destroys us. This is why law and gospel is. I mean, even talking systematically is a better way to talk. Uh, and and I th- and I think um, maybe there's an appeal to replace two kinds of righteousness, um, or use use two kinds of righteousness instead of law and gospel, um, because it's nicer in that sense. So that I'm just talking about. You know, oh yeah, you're doing a good job working before your neighbor, but you're just trying to put it before God. Um, that that doesn't have the sting of sin to say I stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. Right. Two kinds of righteousness is a correspondence to the quorum mundo quorum deo uh, distinction, but the but law and gospel uh, is a correspondence to the two parts of repentance, contrition and faith. Nice. And our life is a life of repentance, even before the world. Okay, so that's nice, but can you guess who this theologian is? I'm going to guess, you know, the big guy, the, the big 2KR guy is uh, is what, Dr. Charles Arend. That's, that would be my guess uh, on who wrote this stuff. Final answer? Yeah, final answer. Oh, man. I was actually reading from the book that uh, Austin quoted uh, in the email, uh, written by Robert Kolb. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, now, it's also co-authored by Charles Aaron, but I'm assuming the part that I read <laughs> was by Robert Kolb. I mean... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Who knows? You could be who right. Knows? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've... when you have co-authors, who knows who writes what? Yeah. I like. You know what I like about Dr. Aaron? I've talked to him a couple times, and you know he's read Luther. That's the thing I like about him, so... Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. And now we're going to go to another email. I like that. I'm okay. going to read this one. This is called uh, Play Out the Scenario Game. This sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. Um, he says, hey, guys, it's the Dirks family, your Kauai friends. Hey, how's it going, guys? From Kauai. It says, um, uh, we need some help, so we made up a game. It's called Play Out the Scenario Game. So here's a scenario. I'm going to throw it at you, Pastor Wolfman. Okay. Uh, end of an evangelical event. With a Lutheran speaker and evangelical hosts. Okay, okay, okay hold on. So, some sort of 
conference, evangelical conference that had a Lutheran speaker there. Yeah. Already it's a strange event. <laughs> I mean, you know something something fun's gonna happen at this. It's event. like a it's like a zoo with no cage. <laughs> I mean, it's right. It's a <laughs> Okay. So it says a girl, maybe eight years old, and her dad comes up to me and says, um, my daughter accepted Christ into her heart tonight, but she is struggling to believe there is a God. <laughs> How okay. can you help her understand there is a God? You have 45 seconds. Go. Oh, man. Uh, now, this is a really... Uh, so let's just set up this, the situation a little bit. So the evangelical... One of the paradigms of evangelicalism is the acceptance of Christ, and it's an emotional decision. So you're being worked up into <laughs> an emotional frenzy where you make a decision of your will or your desires to have Jesus with you. And yet it's all oftentimes it's... A, bypassing the mind. Mm. And so what you're seeing in this question is this this kind of conflict between, well, I've emotionally made a decision for Christ, but my mind may, might not even believe in God, you see, so that there's this complete disconnect. So you got, you know, love the Lord with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do I got the, the maybe the the heart is there, but the mind is not. But either way, it's it's all law. It's a confusion of law and gospel. You know those westerns where everybody would be carrying their their pistols with them, and then you go into a certain saloon, and they'd be like, "Oh no, leave your pistols here at the door," and everybody would take off their you know revolvers, yep. drop in. I kind of picture that like doing that with their brains, like, "Oh, oh, oh, you can't come in here with your brain. You're going to have to just then leave that right here because there's going to be an emotional appeal later, and you don't want to be your brain just get in the way and leave it right here at the door. You can pick it up on your way out." Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, there's something to that. Now, evangelicals are reacting against it. They'll, they're often saying, hey, you, when you come to church, you don't check your brain at the door. But there's a reason why they say that. Is, <laughs> because you know, because, because that's the temptation. Now, if I, if I had this, so here, here's an eight-year-old um, child. The thing to impress upon them, the thing to say to them very, very clearly um, is the gospel in all of its pureness, in all of its sweetness, in in all of its clarity, um, to 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 give certainty both to the mind and the conscience. So so to say, um, and I think maybe it would be something like this: uh, history and the Bible both tell us that Jesus was dead and that he was raised from the dead. The first person in history ever to be resurrected, what the Bible calls the first fruits of the resurrection. So Jesus is raised out of the dead. And this Jesus says to his disciples, go unto all the world and make disciples by baptizing and by teaching. And so, so, um, so that in baptism, the Lord who was raised from the dead gives, the, gives his victory, his forgiveness and his love and his mercy to you. So have you been baptized? And if the answer is no, then it's, well, let's go get baptized. And that will deliver that confidence to you. It'll deliver that gift to you. It'll deliver that certainty to you. Or if you have been baptized, to say, well, now you belong to Jesus. See? So that it's the resurrection of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the fact of baptism that brings some objectivity to the Lord's work. Uh, and it takes it out of this kind of subjectivity and all of this doubt that is always surrounding the evangelical altar call. I mean, I would like to ask the father in this scenario, well, what have you been teaching her? Because, I mean, oftentimes that because we believe in this fictitious doctrine of uh, age of accountability, we don't teach our kids anything. <laughs> like, oh, well, we won't you know, teach them anything until they make the decision for Jesus or something like that. 
Um, which which is really ironic, isn't it? I mean, we might pray with our kids, but we're saying that they don't actually believe in him yet. Um, that's what you call a hypocrite. <laughs> right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're training little hypocrites to say, uh, you're not accountable before God, but let's pray to him. Right. <laughs> anyway, right. We, we need to go to a break. I like this game, though. Yeah, uh, play out that scenario game. <laughs> I like it. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to play a little kick the dog, comfort the child here on Table Talk Radio, everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game. Mahalo. Table Talk Radio. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. And we're back on Table Talk Radio, the game where we play... Kick the dog, comfort the child. Now the way. Oh yeah. Now for those who have never heard this game before, this kick comes... the which one is it? I always get confused. Kick the child or kick the dog? Uh, kick the co-host. I think is what it kick is. Kick the co-host <laughs> and comfort the listener. <laughs> that's that's about right. That's how it should be. Anyway, um, this comes from uh, Luther's idea that uh, that there is a distinction to be made between the false teacher and the false falsely taught. Um, that uh, there are those who have been misled into false teaching and to such a person you'd want to guide them gently into the pure doctrine, into the right confession of Christ. But the uh, teacher should know better. The teacher uh, needs to uh, be taken away from the sheep and so not to lead others astray. And we play that. So we take an issue, and there's always two sides on the issue. We could either uh, take it from the perspective that a false teacher was saying such a thing or from the perspective— a uh, falsely taught person would say such a thing. And with that, we're going to read our next email. Okay. Good day there, my most excellent mediocre Lutheran role models. Model, models? Is this person from... Where, what is that accent? <laughs> Sent from My Verizon Wireless. Oh. Sent from, so the, it this must be a... first name My, middle name Verizon, last name Wireless, <laughs> from the city... 4G. Disclaimer, uh, Verizon Wireless is not sponsored, nor do they condone the broadcast of Table Talk Radio. This, oh, oh, I see here. Thanks again from Laura. Oh, you want to know what accent I'm reading? Yeah, it sounds ridiculous. I am your 11th listener in Salt Lake City, Utah area, and I am recovering Mormon slash atheist slash missionalist slash Calvinist slash evangelical slash Baptist. Nice. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So you can clearly see how much I benefit from your show. Sadly, <laughs> I really have listened to all 355 shows twice. Oh, my goodness. Do you it's have that the, metal laying around there? Somewhere? I don't know. We need to send her a part of our uh, uh, listener, uh, what is that thing called? Pa- listener pack, which it consists of an Issues Etc. bumper sticker. <laughs> Uh, hence the doublification of my confessionalistic state. 
my current confusion lies within the role of the church and my need to receive God's good, uh, God's gifts through these weekly sacraments. Is this need a great desire fulfilled or a, des- uh, or a uh, dire gonna lose my salvation kind of thing? I've yet to uh, even attend a Lutheran church, and so have my sins been forgiven? Of course, that seems like a snotty question. Uh, just asking for clarification on the Lutheran doctrine about church attendance and how I can separate the, quote, works of needing to go to the service from the actual regeneration of my soul from just hearing and believing the words of truth in my Bible. Am I saved once and forever when I hear and believe, or do I have to work to keep my salvation by attending church with the proper sacraments? I am uh, indeed grateful for some clarity and for some for some puns. Oh, boy. <laughs> she wants both clarity and puns. <laughs> Sometimes you get asking for too much. You're ordering. She's ordering off menu. I need to listen to the show about how to write a proper email a third time because I'm certain I forgot something. I didn't even make fun of the Calvinists. Oh, wait. I guess lumping them all in with my past confused states will count. Uh, and hey, by the way, where the heck's Lumpy? Look, Lumpy with two M's. Lumpy. <laughs> Thanks again, Laura. All right, Laura. Thank you for writing in. So I'm gonna I'm gonna um, take the perspective of uh, Laura. We're just gonna suppose now that that Laura um, is a falsely taught, and then you take the perspective that Laura is a false teacher. Which I get to, you get to comfort, and I get we, to. That's right. Now we get the sense that Laura is asking illegitimate questions. So no offense, Laura. But uh, for yeah. the sake of the game, we got to fit everything we do into a game some way. So this is somehow these are the cards that are dealt somewhere. <laughs> now, if I you think... want a real answer to the question, send it to talk back at issues, etc. <laughs> right. <laughs> we should just start forwarding our emails. <laughs> hey, Todd, could you take care of this one first? Thanks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> In any case, uh, I think one of the things that Laura is yet to um, grasp is the um, the passive nature of the means of grace. Um, that that uh, the the means of grace, that is to say, that the the vehicles through which God bestows His forgiveness, um, has a little to to do with our participation. Now, I suppose if you really want to get technical, you know. I do have to get out of the bed. I do have to get out of bed in the morning. I do have to go to the church, um, but by no means is that you know my working because um, by God's grace does He attach such wonderful blessings um, to the word preached, to the sacraments given, uh, to the holy absolution, and God, um, though He has promised would never with, with withhold those those things, He certainly could. I mean, He certainly has the right to. So it's not by the credit of you getting out of bed in the morning <laughs> that God is giving you these things. It's simply by his grace and mercy. So with that said, um, the reason that we continue to um, uh, make use of these means of grace um, is not in the sense that uh, when I receive them, I'm saved, and then I commit a sin, I'm out, and then I need to go back and get his grace, and I'm in again. Um, but it's that we as uh, as Christians— continue continue to sin and we never go a day without without sinning we never go a day where we are are not in need of god's grace so whenever the the means of grace god's holy word and his sacraments are administered um then we christians delight to take use of them to to receive them because god is offering his grace and mercy again and i continue to be a sinner so i am in continual need for them it's nice Okay, now your turn. Pretend that Laura is a false teacher. 
Well, I say the Jesus who died for your sins is the Jesus who says, go to church. And you can't have one without the other. You can't pick and choose. And when we use the gospel as an excuse to sin, uh, we're, we're, not, uh, we're misusing the gospel. The gospel forgives sins. It does not excuse sins. And so to say, because I'm free in the gospel, because my sins are forgiven through the word, that I can neglect the meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, is to abuse Christ. And in fact, it is what Hebrews calls to re-crucify Jesus. So we trust that the Lord, who wants to save us and has instituted his church, where the word is preached and the sacraments are given out, and he constantly and is daily forgiving our sins, knows best how to save us. And we do not uh, assume to be so arrogant uh, as to throw off his commands, his instructions, his means, and his gifts as if we know better than he did. Is this, how, is this how you and Flammy take care of business? Is yeah. It, it's like good cop, good bad cop. cop. Bad cop. <laughs> You're like, all right, Flammy, I'm going to go. No, you should have Flammy do the bad cop because he can do all his like uh, martial arts skills. On, That's on right. It. That's right. I mean, I come in there and I'm like, look, I'm passive righteousness. But this is <laughs> this over here is active righteousness. Did I, by the way, use the word sacrament in my harangue? I'm pretty sure I did, which means I get 500 points. Hmm. Well, I should have just said, what are you, a Judaizer? <laughs> Paul warned me about you. <laughs> but Hebrews says, by the way, this is a verse that was uh, referenced. Hebrews 10 says, Do not neglect the meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another to love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the last day, the judgment day. And, and the, the scriptures um, are constantly going to say that because we are, we are fighting against sin and death and the devil— because we live in the world and the flesh and the, and the devil's kingdom, that we need one another and we need to constantly hear God's word, that th- his mercy is the strength uh, that gives us endurance to stand until the end. And so to come to church to receive the Lord's body and blood, um, even if we think we don't need it, we trust Jesus that, that he knows better and that we receive his goodness and his grace from him. Indeed. All right, so... Um... How about a quick, quick round of Ten Commandments in the News? <laughs> okay. All right. So I have one here, unless you're... Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It says, Obama chides senators to, quote, do their job, vote on court pick. It says, Senate's second-ranking Republican left open the possibility of a confirmation hearing for President Barack Obama's nominee to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court. Um says it's entirely up to the chairman of the Judiciary Committee whether even to schedule a hearing on the president's nomination, Carolyn said. Um, da, 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 da. And uh, where the nomination were to get out of the Judiciary Committee, it's entirely within the control and discretion of the Senate majority leaders whether to schedule it for a vote, which does demonstrate the ma- majorities do matter. Obama has challenged Republicans, saying that the Constitution is pretty clear what's supposed to happen now. All right, so the idea is that the Senate is thinking, let's just hold off on picking a new new uh, justice until we have a new president. What do you think? Well, look, if I was Obama, I would be working like crazy to get a new judge in there because you don't want to take the risk that someone on the ideological right would nominate someone who would stand in the way of the rewriting of the institutions of the United States, which has happened through the courts. I mean, it has been through the Supreme Court that the Constitution has been basically reshaped in the United States. The, the, the secular agenda is pushed forward through the courts. Uh, and so that's a big sort of thing. Now, the commandments at place are, number the first, eight, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness, 
uh, establishes courts and says that there should be courts to hear cases. The fourth commandment establishes order among humanity, and so any sort of government talk is going to be fourth commandment talk. The problem is, anytime you mention Obama and the and the left, which is fighting against God's institution of things, you're now starting to talk about first, second, and third commandment issues, especially when we worship the government uh, as that which brings us all good, and that is idolatry. I do have to admit, this is the first time I've ever heard Obama say something like, the Constitution is pretty clear what's supposed to happen now. <laughs> when you like it, you got to quote it. <laughs> all right. I don't that's... know, maybe he'll appoint himself for the... <laughs> That's genius. Have a job. I'm turning it out, but here I am. Here I am on the chest. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Table Talk Radio, where the points are like listening to the Judaizers talk about passive righteousness. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Nice. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.